up, my miners of intelligence and consciousness? I'm Rick Brooks, and this is Rick's Mind. Today with me, I have Olin Hannum, who is the marching band director at Oregon State University. Welcome to the show, brother. Yeah, nice to be here, Rick. Nice to meet you today, finally. <laughs> I know, man. We've been working on this uh, f- for a while, and I'm glad our schedule's kind of lined up and we're able to get get this work in. So, I'm, dude, I've got probably 3,000 <laughs> questions to ask you and not that much time. And the first yeah. one that I want to ask is, how does one become a marching band director? Oh, boy. Uh, so... What, what the angle on that question is probably like what I do is a small part of wind instrument performance, which is a small part of instrumental only performance, which is a small part of, you know, like Western classical music in the United States, which is a tiny part of music overall, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like this narrowing, narrowing, narrowing down. There's probably, I'm trying to think, college marching bands in this country i think there's probably like 150 of us right and so like in that sense it it is kind of a a super condensed group of people who do what i do so that's a totally reasonable question uh yeah for every it's kind of different for everyone the like common route the like air quotes normal route to get there like if if someone were to be trying to do this for a living it would be to get a degree in music education go teach public schools for a while get that sort of group directing experience and then um, go on to get a doctorate in either uh, wind conducting in music ed in uh, instrumental conducting stuff like that and then go try and look for gigs at colleges what is wind conducting? Yeah, so um, it's it's a subset of conducting in which you conduct winds, which I know is like the most flippant response that I could possibly give. <laughs> uh, but like, so conducting is physical gesture to elicit an audio uh, response in a in a player, right? Like this, exactly. So okay, exactly. Gotcha. So you can do that for choirs, you can do that for orchestras, you can do that for marching bands, you can do that for chamber groups and solo singers and basically anything. But wind conducting is winds only. And by winds only, I mean instruments that you have to blow through mm-hmm. to make a noise okay. on. So not violins, cellos, stuff like that. So saxophones, tubas, yeah. Trombones. Exactly. Mostly stuff. trombones, if I'm Mostly. being honest. Okay. <laughs> so wait, uh, now when, when one is when, and I'm going to do this cause it, it, it just feels good, but like yeah, when yeah. one is doing that, um, are there certain cues that, that I, I as a player I'm looking for? Is this its own language that I have no idea about? Like I'm super ignorant to all of this. Oh, no. Wait. So it is, it is definitely its own language. It's a, it's kind of it's a super weird thing because there's layers upon layers upon layers to it. Like the most basic thing is pointing to someone and saying, you start now. And okay. the now is when your hand drops back to a pre-specified point. And like there's a certain amount of intuitiveness to it on the on the part of the player, but a certain amount of it is just sort of built up over time of playing in groups year over year over year over year. There's an accepted language of it. It's it's less like um 
I'm trying to think of a good example. Like, like it, a musician sits down and reads music, and there's a common set of notation on the page that says, you know, at this time, in this measure, at this tempo, you play this note for this long, right? Mm-hmm. And and that notation is pretty common, or at least has been in the West for a long time. It's different all around the world. Um, conducting in input in instruction is much less structured like that and is much more rote taught much more like you learn it by doing it and you learn it by playing under those people dude i had this is so bizarre to me i i knew i was going to be fascinated by this <laughs> conversation we were going to have but i just there's so much that i'm I'm ignorant too. And so like wind, wind conducting, and I'm just, I'm just making sure I understand you correctly. Like this, yeah. that would be someone um, like a John Williams and his orchestra or you know, th- that that's wind conducting. What's this? What is that? What's the pointy <laughs> stick called, dude? What is that? A baton. A yeah, baton. Yeah. Ha ha. Okay. Yeah, and where exactly. does one acquire those? I'm just asking for a oh, friend. Yeah. All over the place. Um, okay. Yeah. You could, there's a couple of big companies that make them. You can get them custom. Uh, the guy who, the guy who makes the batons that I really like is, um, he lives in Minnesota. His name's Chris. He makes good <laughs> batons. I don't know. <laughs> Shout out to Chris from Minnesota exactly. that makes great. Uh, so you can get them custom. I didn't even know there was a whole industry behind this. Oh, so yeah. well, this I mean, is- it, they're they're pretty cheap. I don't know if you can. There aren't that many people who like make a living doing it. Like one of the biggest names in baton making is Guy Lake, <laughs> who lives down in the Inland Empire in Southern California, and like he's one of the biggest people at it. But he still like teaches when like teaches band. As part okay. of his gig to yeah. like, you know, make money. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah okay. All right. Okay. So yeah. we got, we were a little bit off though. Like, so, so you're going to college, you got to, you got to mm. teach a few gigs, uh, public schools, you're working your way up through the ranks, and then you yeah. apply. Uh, at a, at a school with a soul. And also, is this what you wanted to do when you grew up? I mean, that's also, I'm going to ask that question on top yeah. of this. But so I will say, I will say that is not the, so that is the like common route that a lot of people take that you would tell someone to go do if they were looking to get into this. That's not the route that I ended up taking. I graduated okay. from undergrad, um, went and did a master's in teaching and music education. Um, and then right after that, I got an assistant director job at a college down in California doing their marching band. And then a year into that, the director got a different job and I ended up stepping into the director role, did that for another Mm -hmm. four and a half years and then got the job up here. Okay. And that was six years ago. Yeah. So my, so my, mine is a, a, a non-traditional route. Most of the time you do your undergrad in music ed, which is you go to go teach after that. My undergrad is in performance and composition, which is not usually the track that you go for this kind of thing, but it has, it has come in handy a few times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I get it. I, I, I'm, I love that you got in there in an, in an untraditional way. And I mean, I, I, I guess, Another question that I, I have for you is, 
What made you decide to want to teach music? Like, I'm assuming that you have always had a love for music, and I'm also going to assume um, that you play many instruments. Uh, but why yeah. why go into this field of teaching? Well, I mean, it's kind of changed over time, right? What the The reason why most people get into it is because of the incredible experience that they had in school, and they want to pass that on to the next generation and make sure that they have incredible experiences as well. Um, but then as you're in the field... <laughs> your motivation changes to, to keep doing it for me. Uh, it's because it's probably 75%, uh, that people in the group get to do the thing that I got to do in college and absolutely loved and changed my life. And 25%, uh, that it's a, a platform on which I get to mess around and like write cool charts and do weird drill that, uh, and try and make things that no one's ever seen before and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So there's a, there's a creation component in, in, in this. Which oh, for sure. Yeah. I'm <clears throat> what, like what types of actually, hold on to me. I'll ask that later. But w yeah. when you say um, that it, like, like it changed your life, right? What do you, what do you mean by that? I kind of want to unpack so, that a little bit more. Yeah. So, I mean, I started doing music early, right? I was, I was that kid who was playing piano when I was five years old and singing in the church choir. And, uh, <laughs> uh, I sang in a, uh, uh, children's traveling, uh, show choir called the sunshine generation when I was a kid, that was the whole thing. <laughs> so I could been doing music forever. Right. But sunshine. I had never done marching band until college at my high school. We didn't have a marching band. It was concert band only sit down. We did like pet band in the stands stuff at games, mm -hmm. but it wasn't, it wasn't like marching specific intervals, specific rows, columns, step sizes, all that kind of stuff. And then when I got to college, I went to a school that had a simultaneously very traditionalist marching program and very like boundary pushing avant-garde situation. Mm -hmm. traditional in the sense that when we did field shows, it was all eight to five marching all rows and columns and grid two-step grid based stuff, which we can get into all everything that I just said, if you want later, uh, we're going to have to do that. Yeah. Okay, good. Uh, but avant-garde in, in the sense that when we were not on a football field, we had a whole different performing style that was, very individually expressive, which is not something that you really associate with marching bands all the time. In fact, not there's this all. book, uh, <laughs> I have it over there. Uh, there's this book, uh, by AR Cassavant who taught at Chattanooga high school in Chattanooga, Tennessee in the fifties. And then I think again in the sixties, uh, who codified a lot of this stuff. And one of his big things is like when you're in the band, you're a member of that thing. You are not your own thing. Mm -hmm. And that, that ethos is very baked into marching band everywhere. It's baked into my band here at OSU. It's baked into every marching band out there. But a thing that my undergrad program did really well, or like did really differently is when we were not on the field, we did not do that. It was, you can be your own you know, expressive person. You could play your own way as long as it's the notes in the right order, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
uh, and I had never had that kind of experience performing before. And it really opened my eyes. It was like, oh, this music thing can be this whole wide array of, of, of performance and of sort of expressiveness. And it, it really did change what I thought was possible in music. And then when I got a chance to do it for a living, I was like, oh, yeah, I'll totally do that. Oh, yeah. Oh, d- definitely. Yeah. And we got to go into the marching orders and stuff. Obviously, that's, some, that's yeah. the most logical conclusion of this. Like, right. Like, wh- <laughs> what, did, what did you mean? I didn't even, you're speaking a different language. Sure. So, I'm trying to think of like the like the best way to break it down. So like <laughs> way, way back, marching was done in a block in one direction on a street, on a track, et cetera, right? A marching band was something that you would have at the front of a parade, for example. Like John Philip Sousa's band would do marching, but they wouldn't they wouldn't do like field shows and maneuvers like you like you would expect out of a marching band today. Um, and so when we started moving on to football fields, this is like early 1900s. Um, we started doing, well, l- 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 let me r- run it back. What I described before when I said eight to five, the standard mm-hmm. step size is eight steps every five yards. Okay. Okay. Which didn't used to be the common step size. The common step size used to be six steps every five yards for a long, long time. You'll see, like if you look at old military style bands, military videos, there's a, there's a whole circuit in Texas whose high schools do old school military six to five marching. Uh, It's very cool stuff. But then we realized that, you know, most music is in four or in two in a sets of four bars, sets of eight bars. And so hitting the line every six counts is not super helpful. And so we changed mm-hmm. it to be eight, but that's a smaller step size. And so we started adding sort of flair to the step, high knees, long feet, stuff like that. Um, and so the, the standard step size now is eight steps every five yards which is something that like marching band people just internalized. Like I could, I could step off eight to five and I could probably get pretty close even if there's no yard lines around. Really? Yeah. So uh, what I'm getting very intrigued by is just like the culture and the history of this. Like I love it because this is a whole, a completely different world that I knew nothing about. Like I'm a big fan of scenes and worlds. And um, that's like, honestly, one of the reasons I love life so much is there's just so much that I don't know. There's so much that I'm ignorant to. And when I got the opportunity to chat with you, I was hesitant at first. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. Dude, marching band like this. I'm not interested in that. And then I, I went to bed and I slept on it. And I thought, I have no fucking idea what any of this stuff is. Like I've seen it. I've played football. Yeah. I played yeah. it in call. I, I, they were always there. We didn't necessarily interact. I was, you know, getting screamed at by my coach, but like, this mm-hmm. is a completely different like culture that is. Yeah. And they were getting screamed at by I their marching band directors. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have known. So I, I think that's super cool. I mean, and then, you know, I'm like the outside of that, the only other exposure I've had, the only time it's been on the big screen, and I'm probably wrong here, but like, is the movie motherfucking drumline. Oh, Shout yeah, out to yeah, Nick yeah. Cannon. I love mm-hmm. that film. Shout out to I Orlando Jones. 
Yeah, I, I, I watch. I don't. I watch that a lot. I was like, man, this, this is so cool. And um, I don't know, man. Like, it's just, it's super interesting. Um, I had no idea about the steps or anything, and and so it's yeah. like, and just so I'm understanding correctly, like, it's in kind of all the steps that you have to do are are in rhythm to the music or or, or just the counts, right? Like, so. Yeah, I, I can't so, read music and I oh, can't yeah, play no, anything. It, it's so. in rhythm to the music and defined by the length of counts. So there, there's very broadly speaking, and this is in no way to categorize any groups or styles or create any sort of taxonomy of it. But like broadly speaking, there's marching like in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, you would do marching that was either squad-based, which is every set of four people has a set of drill that they do kind of together, uh, which breaks it down when you're writing it. Back when you used to have to write it, write drill on like grid, like graph paper, which I thankfully got into the profession after that was a thing, so I never (laughs) had to do that. Uh, You'd you'd have... um, point to point based marching, which is what I came up with when I was in college. That was like mm-hmm. your instructions on the page were like you, Rick, you're like, say, say you're a trumpet player, you're T one T one on this 16 count move. Your move is mark time four forward, March eight mark time two to the left, mark time two, right mark time. And that's like your 16 counts for that move. Right. Mm-hmm. And everyone had something different. That's what I came up doing. Um, and then like what we would consider sort of modern drill writing style is more picture to picture based things where the movement in between is the actual visual of it. So it's mm-hmm. like we are all here and you get a piece of paper with a football field on it that's like, you know, T1 is here. And so you know where you are on the field. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's set one. And then set two is this other thing. And you go, oh, how far do I have to get from set one to set two? Oh, well, I have 16 counts to get there. If it's farther than 10 yards away, then it's going to be a bigger step than an eight to five step, right? Okay. If if it's closer than 16 yards away, or sorry, 10 yards away, then it's going to be a smaller step than an eight to five step. And you adjust accordingly such that you take the same size step the whole way. And on the last count, you land on that spot. And the way you can, the reason you do that is because say you're in a line that like pivots in the middle, Mm -hmm. the people on the outside are going to have a way bigger step than the people on the inside. And the person right in the middle is going to stay still. And you want that form to look like it's turning. Yeah. Halfway through. You don't want it to like kind of, kind of, assemble as it gets there okay and and yeah uh, for the folks that are just listening he's uh he's oh yeah i'm doing (laughs) very very good audio only material here (laughs) yeah he's 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 making a a bunch of furious hand gestures it's like he's wind directing as he's explaining this to me no no i'm just kidding um (laughs) but um and when you're saying that i i kind of picture um like the like the Ohio State marching band that is going in different directions and doing different mm-hmm. way different things and the OSU band does that as well the yeah. the real OSU yeah, so Oregon State Ohio State is actually a great example of a program kind of like ours that does a mix of a lot of things 
there's mm-hmm. a history at places like this, as you can imagine, yeah. like this, um, the group at, uh, Oregon state was founded in 1890. And so we our our history is a progression of the marching activity at large. So we yeah. have things to sort of throw back to that, like during pregame, we'll do a high step to the fanfare. We still do the beaver spell out drill, which was, which we started doing in 1968. Uh, same thing with like Ohio state, their half times are very like form to form to form mm-hmm. making pictures and moving them around such that those such that they look like they're moving, but their pregame is very traditional. Yeah. 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 This is, yeah, this is, uh, I had no idea. I'm just blown away and I'm being a hundred (laughs) percent like, yeah. And like a thing in marching band world is like, we have coaching trees just like, just like in, in sports, like the guy who I studied under was an Ohio state person. And the guy I studied under in graduate school was a Penn state person. And so a lot of my knowledge and a lot of my sort of view of what is traditional and what is correct comes from their experiences at Penn state and Ohio state, their experiences under the famous band directors there, you know, do you get any military? Uh, do you have anybody with the military? Because the, the, there's the marching band tradition is still very much alive in the in the mil, in the militaries around the world. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, it, it all comes from that, and there's still there's still a lot of remnants of military tradition in marching band. The people who spin flags in the background are called mm-hmm. the color guard because back in the day they used to be the actual color guard and then as it moved f- away from ceremonial functions and more towards entertaining and artistic functions they stopped they stopped just holding the flag they would march around with everyone else mm-hmm. they stopped uh, they would like they would switch the flag for a core flag away from the american flag and then spin that flag then they would toss that flag but you can't toss like uh, a representative flag in case you drop it. So they switched it to some abstract thing on the, on the flag. Right. So it moved along, but it all comes from that. Yeah. Fascinating. How many hours are you drilling your, your students so that they get everything right and they're able to execute? Well, it kind of depends Right. Uh, And different levels of the activity demand different sorts of things. Uh, We do a band camp right before school starts in -hmm. which we go uh, 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. for six straight days. And then Drumline has rehearsal the week before that. Color Guard has rehearsal the week before that. Leadership have rehearsal the week before that. Uh, But when the full band shows up, it's four a day's from Sunday through Saturday and then classes start the next week. And then we go uh, two and a half hours, three days a week during the season, the season, which just ended last week, but we got a bowl game next week. Mm-hmm. So we're on the road. Oh, and you got to go to that. Oh yeah. Yeah, man. Is, are the, yeah, I don't are get a winter break, on, man. Is, are these students on scholarship? Some of them are. Okay. Um, so like our drum majors are on a small scholarship, our twirler, uh, in years that we have one, we actually don't have one this year, uh, in years that we have one, our twirlers on a scholarship, uh, there are select musicians who are on sort of joint scholarships with orchestra or joint scholarships with the concert band program, stuff like that. What? See, now this is even blowing my mind because, you know, my scholarship <laughs> was through athletics and I would have never thought about going to music. And then, I mean, is 
it also true nothing good ever happens at Bandcamp? I'm sorry, I'm making a joke. That's well, a terrible oh no, it's fine. There, there's, <laughs> that's a so I will joke. say, uh, the sorry. there there has I'm been. I'm sorry, we a, I, you had to you had to get one bad joke in. My God, I know. <laughs> oh, you can get as many bad jokes in as you want, man. I don't care. John rolled his eyes. <laughs> so Bandcamp is relatively intense as you can imagine yeah uh one of the things that we realized a couple years ago is when camp is over because we're a quarter system school right Mm. school runs late september through early december but rivalry week is the last week of november at the end of camp we are halfway done with our total practice time for the whole season oh so, like, if we don't get pretty good by the end of camp, then we're in yeah. real trouble. And so yeah. we push pretty hard to get real good by the end of camp. <laughs> yeah. 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 And do you cut anyone? You're just like, let's say, yep. um, like, I'm T1, obviously. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to get stellar. cut. 100%. Yeah. But, I mean, if T2 was dragging ass, mm-hmm. and I'm like, hey, well, presumably, if he was dragging ass, he'd be like T40 or so T40, and like right okay. on the verge, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. We do cuts mostly in drumline. Okay. Mostly Ooh. in drumline. Because drumline has a pre-specified number of like we need six bass drums. We need mm-hmm. between nine and 11 snare drums, four to six quad drums and somewhere between seven and 11 symbols. Right. So if we have 45 people auditioning, then, you know, there's going to be 10 or 15 people who get cut. Do, do the drum, do the people on drum line, do they get all the girls? Like I'm, cause I'm, you know, I'm T1 and I, am <laughs> I going to be jealous? Am I going to gel? I'm going to be jealous of the drum line guys or like what's well, going on? So if on? you're T1, then you're, yeah. then you're the trumpet player who gets all the solos. Right. Yes. So that's yes. pretty appealing. Okay. All right. I like you this. Know. I mean, well, I go after you the drum line. We can go me... after the trumpet soloist. The, exactly. And I play a mean trumpet. So, all yeah. right. Good, good. Who knew? Thanks, man. Thanks for yeah. making me T1. I'm going to get a shirt yeah. that says T1. It'll be great. <laughs> Of course, I, I, <laughs> you'll, you'll get you'll get all the good drill. You'll get to there's a there's a thing in our band that uh, w- so one of the one of the drill sequences we do is the the Beaver spell out. It closes mm-hmm. every pregame show. We've been doing it for over fifty years now, and it uh, conveniently beavers and then an exclamation point is eight characters mm-hmm. long. So you can take a sixty four count fight song, which is like the standard fight song count structure, and break it down mm-hmm. into eight counts of eight. And so every eight counts, a new letter forms on the back of the block. Uh, and one person gets to be the little dot at the bottom of the exclamation point for beavers. And it's like a whole thing every year. Oh, who gets to be the bottom of the exclamation point? Who gets to be the dot? It's very cute. The, I, I had no idea. I had no idea yeah. about, about any of this. I, I got to oh, yeah. ask, so what kind of music do you listen to on a daily basis? Oh man! So uh, Spotify oh just had its like wrapped thing the other day, mm-hmm. and let me let me look this up. Hold on, I've I've got this. I took a screenshot of it because you know, of course, you gotta. That's the thing. My top genres: uh, number one, classic rock figures; number two, concert band figures; <laughs> number three, indie folk; number four, progressive metal; number five, dance pop. 
Oh wow! So yeah, kind of everything. I, I love you, me. I love me a good like normal song structure, over the top synth pop. I love ABBA. I love Carly Rae Jepsen. I love you know your your Katy Perry's, your your Taylor Swift. The singles, not the like stuff on the back catalog, just like the bangers, the really mm-hmm. good ones. Oh my goodness. Um, like they're cheesy. They're very, they're designed to be mass popular, but listen, they're good. Um, I like me some metal. I grew up on, you know, thrash. I grew up on uh, Metallica and Anthrax and Pantera and Opeth and all that. Opeth's a different thing, but. Whoa, uh, no, 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 no. I've seen Opeth twice. Yeah, 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 really huge fan. Yep, huge oh, yeah. fan. Yeah, definitely a different category than like Metallica, Megadeth, that yeah. thing. But yeah. like, oh man, Opeth is so cool. Opeth They're, and like Dream Theater and Mastodon and like the, oh, the people huge, who are doing the weird stuff. Huge, huge fan of Mastodon. I lo- would love to see him live. I think that I think that what's the album Leviathan? Um, mm-hmm. uh, and and is it, it's Leviathan. I'm trying to think of. Oh boy. That's the one where it like roughly follows the story of Moby Dick. Yes, yes, I'm trying yeah. to think of I think it's, it's Hearts album. I think it's Hearts Alive or something right mm-hmm. now. I'm going to Hearts if I Alive can... um Blood and Thunder is my favorite oh, from that album. It's a good that's... one. They just released an album in October. They certainly yeah, 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 Hearts Alive, Iron Tusk is also a, a mm. absolute cuz I would say so I listen to a lot of metal as well. Um mm-hmm. But generally, when I'm in the gym, I don't know yeah. what it is. Uh, it's like 90% of the time, it's going to be like pretty much death metal, progressive metal. Yeah. And when then, I'm working like, out, I, I, I like, I like uh, pop working out. You're I, so I've, weird, got a, dude. I've got a workout playlist that has a lot of like Robin on it. No. <laughs> just, yeah. no. For me, it. it's, just, it's just angry music or, or like rap, like <laughs> just like some super gangster, like. Just, yeah. you know shoot them kill it you know like that's the, my kind of music and yeah. so I've, I've spent a lot of time working out this year like 275 yards yeah. twice a day so i just like my my spotify on the top of that list was like death metal and then it was like mm. jazz like nubia yeah. garcia miles davis mm-hmm. uh <laughs> I'll, I'll just and then like uh rap reggae and mm-hmm. uh, I don't know a bunch of other stuff. Just, just I'm all over the board. I pretty much like every kind of music, with the yeah. exception of rockabilly. Um, I don't know I if I could it. work out to Miles Davis. No, no, like, I can't. Like no, put on no. some like Birth of the Cool and like mm-hmm. try to work out. <laughs> I mean, it's it's worth an attempt. I guess I have listened to some we jazz as well. Yeah, whilst lifting, but generally um, I listen to jazz when I cook. Mm-hmm. And when I'm just like chilling or working, I'll put on some piano jazz or yeah. or uh, something of that nature. But yeah, I'm a big fan of jazz. Like I'm, I've gotten my love of that has grown exponentially, and it just seems like the best jazz right now. And I'm a bit ignorant; I'm new to the game, but it feels like the best jazz right now is coming out of London, in my opinion. Yeah, there's, there's just, a. Yeah, jazz is one of those genres that is that is like in the 20s and 30s it was like a very specific thing and then it has just branched and branched and branched and branched and branched and like all of those branches influence all kinds of other music yeah but within jazz now there's like 40 different genres like Uh, yeah uh, yeah. there's all kinds of stuff are you into like you mentioned miles davis and and piano are you into like 
like um Thelonious like Monk. Third way, yeah, like um like Chet Baker and that kind of stuff. Don't even know who he is. Send me some songs after this. Yeah, look up Chet Baker. If you're into Monk and you're into Miles, I think you'd like him. I'm, I'm Chet Baker. Yeah, pull him up right now. Tragic story. <laughs> uh, not not a great Wikipedia read. Oh no, no! But great music. There, there are okay. Uh, is a trumpeter correct? Yeah. Okay, yeah. I'll check. I'll check him out. There, there are some really sad um, musical s- stories. Like there was this band I discovered called Pato. They're a mm. um, like a classic rock band. And they were, I mean, you gotta, you gotta list, give Pato a listen at P A T T O P A T T O. Okay. Yeah. Um, give them a listen and you will find out like, um, pretty much everyone in the band dies except the drummer, like the lead singer gets, they were on the lead singer gets cancer. Like it's so depressing. And they were right there. They were, they almost made it, man. They were on BBC live. They were hanging out with all the, the famous, uh, uh, rockers of that age. I don't even know. Yeah. I'm going to throw some names out there, but I'll, I'd be wrong. So I'm not, but they were hanging out with all these people <laughs> and they were coming yeah. up together and they just didn't make it. Like people kept dying. And I was like, fuck. Yeah. They put out a few albums, but they, they do were you great. Know, do you know a band called Chase? No. Chase was, Chase was a big, um, like brass band, uh, in the seventies think tower power earth wind and fire blood sweat and tears um like kind of sly and the family stone adjacent but like chicago like that kind of sound okay. right yes yeah right. yeah yeah gotcha um they were right in that mix uh and then yeah very similar situation a lot of them like uh, i think i'm not 100 percent sure about this but i think there was a plane crash involved so, oh, thank you. What's up? J- John's Howdy. coming in. Yeah, I was actually just reading this to put it in the show notes. Yeah, uh, they all di- are. Let's see. Uh, yeah, they died in a plane crash. <laughs> What's that's, terrible. That's Bummer not City, ideal. man. Yeah, yeah. They, um, they don't two albums. Really, really cool stuff. They all died. Okay. Wait, will you see what happened to Pato, John? Like, I, I, I know. <laughs> yeah, how, how do you spell that one? P A T T O. Someone wasn't was listening earlier to hear that. I, know, I, well, I couldn't tell if it was Pado or Pado, like P-A-D-D-O. No, no. Pato. Right, I will get back to you. Thanks. He's coming. He'll come back. Yeah, I, there's there are so many um there are so many amazing music stories that just or or, or even there are even some people that were so amazing that they never got um they just never got discovered. Uh, it's kind of like it's i mean it's an art right but it's it's almost like um i just went to a a van gogh um virtual thing and yeah the immersive thing yeah the immersive experience how was that i've heard about this it was cool it was cool yeah um i got barbecued before i went obviously like i was stoned (laughs) i mean um, i feel like that's that's yeah. almost a requirement, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like yeah. they put on the ticket. It's like yeah. no explosives, no firearms. You got to get baked before you show up. Hundred percent. So yeah. I, I I rolled in there and um, I did some reading about uh, him after afterwards and and, and did start doing a bunch of research and it just I had no idea. Like I knew who he was. I knew he cut his ear mm-hmm. off, but I didn't know. I did not know that he never made it. 
Like he died yeah, thinking in his he time. was a failure. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and then his brother so, his brother ended up going crazy as well because of like syphilis or something like that. Some that's what I feel, that I feel like one one in every three fresh impressionists went crazy because of syphilis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh but his brother died and it, so it's it's his brother's wife um took it upon herself to translate all of the letters and to uh, start bec- learned how to become an art dealer, basically. And that's the reason that we all know who Van Gogh is today. And I find it weird to think that it, even right now, as all of us are living, there is probably some artist out there that is creating amazing paintings or music mm-hmm. or something and no one gives a shit right now. And then they're going to die and then someone might discover it and they would blow up. I think that like yeah. out of anything in that has to do with the arts, like have you seen Searching for Sugar Man? I have not. Do you know about this? No, I don't. Bro. Is okay. this a finding Bobby Fisher scenario? <laughs> I think so. I mean, I'm not going to, I'm going to try not to spoil it for you, but like there's a guy that uh, puts out a few albums and, um, fuck, what is his name? Um, John, help me. Searching for Sugar Man. It is, I don't know. John will come in. Um, Oh, you got something? Yeah, all it says is his name is Rodriguez. Yeah, Rodrigo. Rodrigo or Rodriguez. So, um, yeah, IMDb says Rodriguez. Yeah, yeah. So he, he, his music somehow makes it over to South Africa and he, and he blows up. Like he becomes super famous, but then like it stops. He's in America. He's like going broke and everyone thinks Uh he dies. And like his music influenced a bunch of like a, a shit ton of, South Africans, what? and so, so they, this is like this is like a this is a pre-internet situation, presumably. This is definitely a pre-internet. This is like 1960s. This guy, people said this like this guy's like, yeah, 60s, 70s, 70s situations, <clears throat> 70s situation. Okay, nice. uh, so this is a 70s situation, and um, yeah, pre-internet, but they they don't find him until like the 90s. Or something yeah. like that. And I thought you were gonna say it was like a like a Harper Lee scenario where someone writes something incredible that everyone loves, but that's the only thing they ever write. I don't know but anything d- about scenario. what you just said. So, Harper Lee wrote To Kill a Mockingbird and then oh, famously okay. didn't write anything else. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh but so that kind of thing with the um, the Van Gogh not being discovered during their lifetime. There's a lot of musical equivalents to that. My favorite one is J.S. Bach. Bach as in the B minor mass, Bach as in uh, the aria from the Goldberg variations, Bach as in a million, the cello suite number one, a million things that you and everyone else has heard a million times, right? Bach was a church organist in, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, I would. I, I'm, I'm gonna. I'm gonna make my old history teacher so mad. I think Dresden. In my head, I want to say it's Dresden, but that's got to be wrong. Anyways, Bach is a church organist it, somewhere. Okay. 
uh, church organist somewhere. Um, and back then your job as a church organist was to play for the services, write music for the services and improvise music for the services. It was exclusively a sacred situation. This is pre royalty getting super involved. Royalty mm-hmm. got super involved later and during like the classical period. Think like Mozart, that sort of gang and royalty would be like, here's a boatload of money. Write me a thing. This is before that. And what's up, John? Um, so I think I found it. Is it Weimar? The, yes, that sounds. Yeah, that sounds it was the, he was the court musician at the chapel of Duke Young, uh, Johann Ernst III in Weimar. Uh, Weimar. But like he, we now understand him as someone who took what was going on beforehand in the late sort of late Renaissance, early Baroque period. Uh, think like Scriabin and Vivaldi and all this kind of stuff and added a layer of complexity on top of it that no one had really ever seen before. And those works still survive today, but there was like a 200 year period where nobody knew who J.S. Bach was <sighs> not because he was famous in a little tiny town and nowhere else, but because everyone had forgotten him. And then uh, Felix Mendelssohn, Mendelssohn, mm-hmm. who, who famously wrote, um, like, what would you recognize by Mendelssohn? Mendelssohn wrote, oh, Med- Mendelssohn wrote uh, The Wedding March. Bum, bum, buddy, bum, 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 That thing, that's Felix Mendelssohn. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, d- uh, I had no idea. Yeah. So he discovers Bach and is like, yo, everybody, this stuff is insane. <laughs> Goes and plays it, goes and shows it to everybody else, and he is correct. The stuff is, in fact, insane. And now, I mean, Bach is considered the forefather of like modern Western tonality. So, no one, uh, you know what? I we mean, should just, <laughs> John, we should, uh, and now I'm just, I have an idea. I'm sorry. At some point, we just need to do a podcast about all the creative geniuses that no one gave a fuck about until they were dead. And like, I had oh, that no would be idea. So good. Yeah, I'm gonna have I to had... cut this out of the show now because that's such a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's put, re- we should do that. That'd yeah, be put, good. No, leave it, leave it yeah. in. But like that, like uh, I mean, I just did. I had no, I had no idea. I mean, obviously, I know who Bach is. I know Beethoven. I know, I know. I don't know. I can't say that I know a lot of composers, but yeah. like, I mean. Shit, there are definitely there's a there's a ton of composers right now that are probably struggling and or I would assume I don't know is the composing a dying art? That's actually another good question. So here, here here's the here's here's the thing. No, mm-hmm. because you know who's a composer? Taylor Swift. Hans Zimmer. What? Okay. Um, right. Composing is just is just writing music that didn't exist before. Right. Oh, you know, it doesn't okay. have to be. Western classical instruments in order for it to be composing, right? Every songwriter is a composer. Composition is the whole spectrum of everything. Like one of the things they beat into you in composition school (laughs) is that like the things that you've heard before, that is not the only set of instruments, voices, synthesizers that can make new music, right? Mm, Uh, There's a composer. So like, um, Digital music is becoming a big thing. Um, and by becoming a big thing, sorry, and by digital music, I do not mean um, Tiesto and Skrillex and that, although mm-hmm. they are composers too, and some of the stuff mm-hmm. is great. Uh, but digital music in the like, like there's a composer out there who 
writes um, programs that play music based on data sets. Yes. Right. Uh, there's music out there that like, um, like, like there's a, there's a guy who wrote a program that interprets um, body um, physicals uh, signals. Mm-hmm. So like body stats, your heart rate, your, um, I don't even know, blood sugar, other things like that. Things that people monitor in, in um, uh, hospital wards yeah, and we'll run that through a program and play music whose sound and character is representative of the way that body is functioning. So yeah. if it's functioning well, it's very harmonious. It's very light. It's very pastoral. If it, if that person's blood sugar spikes, if that person's heart rate gets way too fast or way too slow, it gets, dissonant and tension and gets louder and so that you can walk into a room and go all these people are fine except that person is not doing well because i can hear it so dana reason did something like that and it had to do with salmon and animal i mean i'm I'm totally butchering all this but like she took that and made so she was actually a guest on the podcast and and so i just it's it's very interesting the places that they're taking music uh -hmm. that's i I would have right so like that is composition because it is creating music which is music music is 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 frequencies of different characters of sounds in order in a different way than has ever happened before Mm -hmm. right like that's all it is it could be digital it can be acoustic or electric or whatever right it can be with trumpets it can be with strings it can be with your voice yeah um do you do you recall how many frequencies the human john we look up what frequency the human ear is able to hear in uh, twenty. It's twenty hertz to twenty thousand hertz, but then that's okay. plus or minus like five percent, based okay. on you know individual damage and whatever. Yeah, I, I was sometimes. Um, I wonder like how many, like how much sound we're missing out on, right? Like that's all we're able. I don't know why this thought just popped into my head, but like, well, so go ahead. This is really interesting. This is like really fascinating because when you say what how much sound we're missing out on yeah it's only sound if it registers through uh, a membrane that can that can pick up on it and turn it into a brain signal right so like mm-hmm. there's an argument that says it's only sound if it's between the registers that the human ear can pick up yeah but that's fucking bullshit well right but like think about it this way like uh waves of light i mean light is a weird example because light is both a wave and a particle right but like Mm -hmm. it's a wave it is oscillating at a certain frequency Mm -hmm. we can't hear that frequency so we don't call that sound we call it light right it interacts with a different with a different sensory input in us similarly like like the earth is vibrating all the time Yeah, yeah right earthquakes happen and but the the frequency of earthquakes is split out such that you don't hear the ground moving you hear the ground interacting with buildings trees uh parking lots whatever right but yes but i'm pretty sure that there are animals that can hear in a much wider 
range of frequency. And I think plants transmit messages also in a different like frequency that we can't hear. Hence, like there's, I I know whales do. I'm pretty sure elephants do. Right. So I, that's, that's definitely sound. We just can't hear it. Correct. Right. It's, oh, totally. It's really interesting because like when we say that uh, they can hear this thing, the word hear is very Mm -hmm. human centric, right? The word hear is, is like, is built through. We have these particular, um, uh, sensory inputs for picking up vibration frequencies. We Mm -hmm. say that other animals have similar ones that can pick up a wider range. So we call that sound, even though it's not sound to us. Yeah, totally. Like, uh, things pick up frequencies higher and lower, I would assume. I don't know. Yeah, oh, yeah, most of. I mean, I'm sure John pulled those facts up, dog, because we're we're on. I'm on thin ice right now. I'm like just about to talk <laughs> out of my too. ass. I this probably is, this already is have. So far outside um, of uh, okay. what I know. Well, I was gonna say. I know that. Um, I was so you were saying like plants make sound and everything. John, you're a robot There's, uh, now, I buddy. can't. I can't hear anything. Uh, oh, am I? Oh no. Oh no. I'm a robot. Um, there's uh, these MIDI things that they, uh, they're piezoelectric pads that connect to um, plant leaves and it takes the electrical impulses from the plant leaves and you can convert it to MIDI data and oh, then God, map that cool. in, this, in the same way that like Dr. Reason does her stuff with salmon. You just mm-hmm. assign these different electrical signals to any number of the, any of the 128 channels that you have in MIDI. Um, and then the resonance frequency of the earth is eight Hertz. Um, and I'll work on finding, uh, more about animal hearing and things. So, yeah. So like we, so it resonates. Oh, sorry. You can map the sounds that plants make. Is that's what you were saying? You kind of were breaking up a little bit. It's yeah. Oh, sorry. So it's the, you take the, um, the electrical impulses that the plants use is like their nervous system mm-hmm. and it captures them using their piezoelectric little pads. So it's like the kind of pads you would use to like do touch sensitive electronics for like touch screens and stuff. Yeah. And it just takes that energy. <laughs> like the Terry Crews commercial it. with the drums. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so it, it does that. And like, um, there's a really good musician, Richard divine. He's, I guess now he's kind of more of a sound designer, but he used to do like, uh, IDM music, um, with uh Aphex Twin and um he does a lot of that and you just you can map anything to anything like you can use piezoelectric things to pick up like um magnetic fields around your hands to interrupt the magnetic field and then that's I mean that's how like theremins work and stuff Basically, like that and anything that works with a frequency in any range mm-hmm. but it's particularly yeah. interesting if the frequency is outside of the range of human hearing mm-hmm. yeah and but I I just I feel like I read a study or something where they were doing that. And when they like would rip a leaf off, that would like spike. So they're like, maybe the plants are screaming. Who knows? <laughs> we just can't hear it. <laughs> uh, it's fun to think about, honestly. Or it's terrifying to think about. Yeah. Maybe, maybe fun the is other. the wrong word, but like it's, it's, it, it, yeah, maybe, maybe that's why. Maybe it's evolutionary. Make me think twice when just, I mow my lawn. <laughs> no. <laughs> so I found, uh, I found a chart the from LSU's animal studies or or animal science program um, for hearing ranges for different animals. So dogs are roughly sixty-seven to forty-five thousand hertz, 
Um, let's see. Guinea pigs are 54 <laughs> to 50,000 hertz. Um, let's see. The biggest one, bats are 2,000 to 110,000. Uh, and actually bigger, beluga whale is 1,000 to uh, 123,000. They didn't get elephant and cell barrels. So frequency frequency ranges are, I mean, they're they're not. So I'm trying to figure out a, a non dumb way of saying this. Oh, don't or worry about more it. More accurately, I'm trying to figure out the dumbest possible way of saying this because I don't okay. know what I'm talking about. But like um, in music, as we organize pitches or, or as we organize frequencies into pitches and notes we operate off of ratios to to create what we call like 12 note equal temperament right and every octave is a doubling of the previous octave's frequency so is is frequency when it comes to hearing is it is it exponential in the same way that frequencies yeah. up a piano is yeah it is it's the it's the same way it's logarithmic so it works yeah. just like an overtone series okay um for all the music theory nerds out there um <laughs> It does. It works the same. That's the reason why, like, um, West. So Western music is Western classical music specifically is tune. You tune everything to a four, which mm-hmm. is so a four forty is called a four forty because the frequency, the fundamental frequency of that pitch is four hundred and forty hertz. You want to hear something that'll mess your brain up? Yes, sure. please. Uh, Yamaha percussion is all tuned to a four forty two. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. the um, Aphex twi- so Aphex Twin. There's a the, another argument that says that a better better tuning is A four thirty two. So mm-hmm. it's eight eight semitone or eight cents lower than everything. Um, it's the theory being that it is closer in the overtone series to the Earth's resonance frequency. I'm gonna have to rain this uh, podcast so like a multiple back. of eight. You guys, you guys, you guys have gone f- fucking full nerd. Music nerd. I was gonna say no we one unintentionally under, coordinated not, today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I am, I am like, what in the fuck are you talking? Not just music no nerd. Idea. You're talking, you know, college engineering yeah, too. Yeah, yeah no, this <laughs> is engineering. This, this makes no sense to me. We're done. That's that's the end. No, uh, shame on you too. Um, sound nerds um but but actually to be fair i want to i do want to be respectful of your time so let let the folks know where they can find you shout out your show so socials understand that you have a podcast as well sure so i do have a podcast that i've been one of the hosts of for eight years now good lord uh, but I will say it's probably going to be extraordinarily boring to most people. It's called Amused, a music educators podcast. If you want to come listen to some band and choir teachers talk about what it's like to be a band and choir teacher and how to be a band and choir teacher a little bit better, uh, <laughs> go ahead and head on over there. Uh, but uh, OlinHannum.com is where you can go and find my works. Yeah, that's about it. Uh, come watch the Oregon State University Marching Band at the Los Angeles Bowl in SoFi Stadium on uh, uh, December 18th. We're going to blow the roof off of it. It's going to be awesome. Go Beavs. That's right. Uh, thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for listening, everybody. Um, if you happen to feel generous, go ahead and give us five stars on iTunes. That really helps the podcast. It's helping us grow. Uh, please, please, please smash the like button on YouTube. And uh, again, thanks for all the support. We love you. And we'll see you next week. Thank you.